Hey, well, happy Father's Day, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. Big day. So glad to be in a room with so many dads. Uh, it's obviously just a, a special day to be able to celebrate dads. Today's, today's message isn't going to be just around dads. Um, it'll be a lot of information and some convictions and some beliefs that we can all put into practice. But to honor dads, I just wanted to start off with a few humorous quotes. You in for that today? Can anybody handle that? Let's go. Uh, Mark Twain, when I was 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. (laughs) Anybody feel that? Uh, Being a a dad at bedtime is like being a designated driver trying to get your friends to leave the bar. Come on, experienced that the other night. Our granddaughter spent the night. Uh, My kids always ask me which one of them is my favorite. I don't tell them. I don't actually like any of them. (laughs) Uh, Someone said to their dad, Dad, I wish I'd inherited your ability to fall asleep anywhere, anytime. Any dads feel that this morning? Come on, somebody. Yeah, like if I sit on this stool, I may take a nap. Um, Jim Gaffigan, here you go. There should be a children's song. If you're happy and you know it, keep it to yourself and let your dad sleep. Be nice to your dad. Most of fatherhood feels like going through customs with an outdated passport. (laughs) Uh, Whoever came up with the term terrible twos must have felt very stupid after their kid turned three and four or 13. Just put in a number. Uh, Dads have a sixth sense of reminders. They can sense when you're about to do something stupid and they swoop in at just the right time to remind you not to do it. Amen. That's a dad's job, right? So a little humor for dads, a little bit about reminder. Man, today Peter is going to remind us of some things. As you know, we're in this series called Resilient. Let's all say that together, Resilient. And we're looking at a portion of the Bible that was written by one of Jesus' early followers, uh, one of his closest followers named Peter. And Peter is writing to his audience so that they can have a resiliency of faith, so that they can navigate the cultural times, so they can continue to finish their lives well and in their lives in a place that they're proud of. And I think all of us want to do that on some level. And so today, Peter is going to, he's going to start reminding us of some things that we need, we need to be able to put into practice, some things that we'd like, likely be to forget, some things that can really matter for us at the end of our time, some things that if we remember them, we'll look back on our life and say, yeah, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I did. That was a life that I'm proud of. And just by way of, of context to get into it, I'm going to read just a couple of verses um, to set the context that uh, come just before the verses that Bennett read. Would love for you, if you don't have a Bible, we always give away Bibles. In the back, you'll notice in the breezeways, we'd love for you to grab a Bible so you can read along. Um, if you would like a nice leather Bible like that, we have a lost and found, probably can find one in there that somebody left. So take advantage of that. Oh, you could buy mine, $10,000, whatever, I don't know. Um, then I could afford drinks for the clubhouse. I don't know about it. Um, so in, in, verse 12, in, in verse 12, Peter says this. He says, I intend always to remind you, always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as Jesus has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure or my death, you may be able to any time to recall these things. So Peter, he's really, he's leaving his last will and testament. Peter realizes that he's about to die. He knows that he's going to be martyred. Jesus had already told him, even before Jesus went into heaven, he had kind of given Peter the heads up that this was going to happen. So Peter is now prepared. He knows his time is short. And when your time is short, 
short, you, you want to leave some things behind, don't you? Right? You want to be sure you left some things behind. Like dads in the room, you know that when you are gone, you want to have left some things behind in your children. Right? And it's more than just your inheritance. Right? It's more than just your inheritance. Just, just this last week, Debbie and I were updating our will because we have no more children anymore. We don't have to worry about who's going to take care of them. Uh, not that we were anyway, right? Because um, we wouldn't be here. Um, but we were going through and you write a letter about how you want your things to be distributed and what you want people to remember and how you want them to act and what you want to leave them with. And this is what Peter is doing. And Peter uses this word recall so that you may be able to recall these things after my departure because he knows he's going to be dead and he wants to be sure that they know some things that he taught with them so that they can have resilience, so that they can have resilience. These are just some resilience reminders. Now, when he uses this word recall, it actually means to execute on some things. It means to have some convictions about life. And we live in a world that's full of opinion, but short on convictions. Amen. Amen. Right? We live in a world where people have lots of opinions. You can turn to the opinion page. You can't turn to the conviction page. And we need people to live with convictions. We need people that can live with the conviction to forgive. We need people that can live with conviction to love others as they love themselves. We need people who can live with the conviction to take responsibility. We need people who can live with the conviction not to always want to be a celebrity, but to want to lay their life down for others. Come on. Like, we need people, dads, we need you to live with that kind of conviction. But we all need to live with those kind of convictions. So Peter says, I want, I want to talk to you about some things that you can recall. And he says, I'm going to remind you of something. Now, now, when I began to read about what he, exactly he's reminding us to do, it's going to feel really, really, really simple. It's going to feel really, really basic. It's something that feels outdated, but it's something that radically changed my life. It's something that I ask our staff on a regular basis. It's something that when we get to it, you're going to feel like I'm telling you to drink more water. It's that simple. You know, like you, how many people know how important water is? You know, water is essential to life. That for men, your body is made up of 60% what? Water, right? 60%, not muscle, water, 60% water. We know that it lubricates the joints. It makes your organs healthy and a myriad of other benefits. But, but we have so many other things to drink. Have you noticed this? There's over 450 soft drinks alone. You can go down to Kroger and then you've or Publix or Costco or Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, wherever you want to go. And you just got all kinds of options of things to drink. You got Coke and you got Diet Coke and you got Coke Zero. Still don't know the difference, right? Um, man, you could drink Pepsi, but if you're in Atlanta, you're likely to get hurt if you drink Pepsi. Um, but you can go through all the soft drinks. Then you have all the specialty waters. Then you have energy drinks. You have Monster and you have Red Bull. And this is even before you get to any, anything with alcohol in it, like seltzers and beer and all that kind of stuff. We have so many options to drink that sometimes somebody just needs to remind us, have you had any water today? Like my, at home, my wife, she's known as the water police because no matter what comes up, she's going to say, did you drink any water today? Mom, I have a headache. Did you drink water today? Mom, I failed my test. Did you drink any water today? <laughs> I mean, it's always about water because it's so easy to forget, yet so crucial to our lives. And so this is what Peter is going to ask us to do, and he's going to tell us, and he's going to remind us. So in verse 19, we see that kind of the, the hinge verse of the passage. He says this. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He says what? We have the prophetic word. We have what? We have God's 
word. So here's the simple truth. Here's the simple reminder that Peter's giving us today. Absorb God's words. Like absorb God's words. That in God's words you find life. In God's words you find freedom. In God's words you find hope. In God's words you find uh, definition. In God's words you find purpose. In God's words you find life. And I'm not saying just read God's word. I'm not saying, hey, we should just study God's word. I'm saying absorb God's words. The same way your body would absorb the nutrients from a glass of water. You should absorb the nutrients, the spiritual, soulful nutrients that come from reading God's word. Now, so what I hope to be able to do in the next few minutes that we have together, because um, I know it's Father's Day and you guys need to get to the golf course. Anybody, let's go. Um, but what I want to do is I want to stir your conviction and your curiosity and your confidence in the Bible. I want to stir your conviction, your curiosity, and your confidence in the Bible. Because for some people here, you're like, yeah, I believe the Bible. I don't really know why I grew up believing it. I went to youth group. They told me to believe the Bible, and I believe it. And when someone asks you about the Bible, you have no answer. You don't know why you believe what you believe, but you know, you know that you do. And then there's some people who are just a little skeptical. Like, I don't know about that. Feels like a comic book or just something you guys like to, like to hold over our heads and beat us up with. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But the reality is that's not what the Bible is used for. And, but for you, maybe there's something that could stir in your heart to actually want you. Maybe you think, wow, if this is true, how good could this be? Right? Because we, we are prone to forget things. So Peter wants to remind us. I mean, we're prone to forget things. We're bombarded with so much information. Um, you know, the latest number that they would say is 1945. It says that knowledge, uh, information doubled every uh, 25 years. And today it's every 12 hours. Think about that for a minute. Think of all the inputs that we have coming at us. Every two years, data actually doubles. And now you got chat GPT and artificial intelligence. Anybody using that? I mean, that's how I wrote this sermon, right? Just put it in there. <laughs> Cranked it out. <laughs> You're welcome. It's what you do on vacation. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we have so much coming at us that we are prone to forget what really matters. We're prone to forget the kind of people we want to be. We're prone to forget the kind of character qualities we want to live by. We're prone to forget the end, the destination that we're moving towards. We're prone to forget what we want to leave behind. Let me ask you, man, what, what are you forgetting about the life that you want to live? Like, like what are you forgetting about the life that you want to live? In the middle of your career and you're raising children and you're moving and buying houses and buying cars and grocery shopping and paying bills and calling your dad on Father's Day and calling your mother on Mother's Day and going to the next travel team uh, assignment. Like, what are you forgetting to live? I hope to remind you today of what you're going to live for. Now, there's a statement that we use in Equip. Equip is our training experience, our very first step. If you haven't gone through Equip, gone through an Equip training, you need to do that. Like that's your step for, that's your step. You come to Connection Dinner tomorrow night and then you need to get in equip. And there's a, there's a statement used by a pastor that says, you know, we, we choose to believe the Bible because it's, it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, right? That, 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 that claims supernatural events and fulfillment of specific prophecies and claims to be divinely written, divinely written. So I'm going to use that kind of as the framework as we walk through the rest of this passage this morning. So verse 16, Peter says this, he writes this, is we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
which we made known to you, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he starts out with this idea that we didn't follow cleverly defined myths. Like this is not fake news. Come on, somebody. Right, this is not fake news. This is one of those things that, you know, it, you can't make this stuff up. You ever had that happen in your family? Maybe if you, if you had small kids or when you were a small kid, you're like, you can't make this stuff up, right? Can't make, crazy things happen, like can't make this stuff up. One of the things that happened, uh, you know, some years ago uh, when our kids were younger that you just can't make up is we were down in Florida with some friends of ours and we were staying uh, at their place in Siesta Key, God's country, paradise, however you want to call it. And so we're staying in Siesta Key and they live right on a canal. So you could just walk out the back door and go fishing. So one day uh, Bennett was out there fishing and this is before Bennett grew to be nine feet tall. Um, he was closer to like two feet tall. Uh, I think he was 18, but... Um, and so he's out there fishing. He's catching some small fish. And there's a stork about 20 feet away. And so he would take the small fish, kind of throw it over to the stork, right? And so, but eventually he finally caught a big fish. It took a while. And so he's bringing the big fish in and he brings it in and he's trying to get it off the hook. And while he's trying to get it off the hook, the stork sneaks up on him. And the stork comes between his leg, grabs the fish and flies out over the canal. Now, now not only that, that's kind of hard to believe. Not only that, that fish was still hooked to the hook and the rod and reel. So not only did the fish go out, the rod and reel went out over the canal as well. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Stork realizes, ooh, this is not a baby. This is a rod and reel. Drops it in the middle of the canal. We're kind of bummed by that, right? Because it was one of my friend's rod and reel. It was, it was an heirloom. It was made by his uh, father-in-law, uh, you know, handmade. And so we were kind of bummed by that. So the next morning, Bennett's out there fishing again, and he's catching some small fish. And then all of a sudden, he catches another big fish, right? He reels it in. He starts to bring the fish up. And as he brings it up, he notices there's a hook in that fish's mouth. And not only is there a hook in that fish's mouth, there's a line attached to that hook that's attached to a rod and reel that the stork had gone and dropped in the canal the day before, right? Can't make this stuff up. Can't make this stuff up. Um, even though I just did. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's really true. That really happened. That really happened. So what Peter is saying, and this is, these are reliable documents. You can't make this stuff up. He didn't make this stuff up. He didn't just sit behind some curtain somewhere with some special glasses on pretending to read some ancient document and come up with this, right? And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. This is a reliable collection of historical documents. Hey, a couple of data points for you on this, just to help you maybe uh, if you're exploring the Bible, some things that would help you understand the, why we have such a high level of confidence in these historical documents. So there are roughly 6,000 fragments of the Bible that we have, many of them dated within 100 years of when the events actually happened. Okay, follow me on this. 6,000 documents within 100 years of when these, when these events actually happened. This has been proven through uh, findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in Gedi and in, in uh, lower part of Israel. And so we have 6,000 documents. So if you think of Aristotle, kind of a famous guy, kind of a big deal, high influence throughout uh, most of history. Aristotle's, one of his most famous work was Poetics. We have less than 12 copies of Poetics, none of them written within a thousand years of when Aristotle wrote them, but nobody doubts those. Julius Caesar, who wrote the Gaelic Wars, same, 12 copies, less than 12 copies, 12 manuscripts written thousand years after the events actually happened. And I'll do you one better, Socrates. You guys heard of Socrates? Remember how he killed himself? How did he die? Drank what? Hemlock somebody? You remember that part? 
Now, Socrates, high influence on people like Aristotle and other philosophers. We have a lot of the Socratic method from Socrates. Do you know how many writings we have from Socrates? Zero. Zero. Yeah, we have 6,000 manuscripts that came of the, that, that we have on hand from the Bible. Now, now, the Bible is a book um, of many books. There's a, and some of you that are, get confused by this, like you said, turn to the book, but you're holding a book. I don't get that. Right? There's 66 books is the way we say it in this book. I get it. It's a little unfortunate. It's the way things are. And so 66 books in this book written by on three different continents, written in three different languages, written over the course of 1,500 years, written by around 40 different authors from all walks of life. You have fishermen. You have prophets. You have priests. You have, a pot, you have Pharisees. You have um, uh, prophets, you have pastors, you have, you know, kings, you have shepherds that have written this book from all walks of life, all to come together in one convincing direction that I'm going to get to in just a second. Like if you were, this isn't just some book that was made up by some guy somewhere just to get you to believe it. It's not propaganda, right? It's not fake news. We can trust it. It's a, it is history. It's eyewitness testimony of reliable documents. It has stood the test of time. People have died translating the Bible, and we have it at our disposal. I mean, you can pull it up on your phone right now, and you can go get a paperback and one in the back. Some of you probably have them stacks all over your house, right? Because that, and, but people have died. It's that important. We can't, we can't take it for granted. Let me ask you this. This is just for those people in the room who follow Jesus, right? If you don't yet, that question is not for you. Do I live like I believe the Bible is true? Do I live like I can trust the Bible? Do I live like there's something in there that I should order my life around? And it is, it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Peter says um, that uh, you know, we, were, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, and I'll get to that part in just a second. But we understand how powerful eyewitness testimony is, don't we? Man, we want to know somebody saw it. If you ask me to go to a restaurant and tell me it's good, but you haven't ever been, I think you're a liar, okay? I need you, I need you to experience that filet mignon before you tell me it's the best in town, right? I mean, we know the power of eyewitness people who've experienced it. And this is Peter, but this is also other people who experienced it. Eyewitnesses who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who saw him, who heard what he said, who looked at how he treated people, who could verify the things that he did, who saw the miracles that he performed. We have eyewitness testimony. And, it, and the things that they wrote were written when there were other eyewitnesses around. It wasn't like Peter waited till everybody died and said, let me write these things down so nobody can refute it, right? Listen, Peter was arrested, tried, and hung upside down. And it wasn't for lying. It was for telling the truth, Right? The truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of the way that Jesus lived. And we have eyewitness testimony that was written down during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And here's where, we, where it gets really, really, really good. In verse 16, where he says, we follow cleverly devised myths. We didn't follow. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord. That's literally talking about the future coming of Jesus. And, and then he says this, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, when, he's, when he uses this word majesty, he is referring to the transfiguration. It's a story that another one of the apostles wrote, and I want to tell that story, but let me finish reading this. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves 
heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Now, now let me just kind of, let me read through the story that Peter's referring to here. Because it's not just some random story. Now, now in Matthew chapter 17 is the, the version of this story that I'll use. Matthew, follower of Jesus. He, he was a tax collector. And Jesus walks by and says, hey, come follow me. He gives up everything and follows Jesus. And so Jesus takes his disciples um, kind of out one day. And he takes them kind of out away from the crowds and away from the noise and away from the busyness. And he asks them, who do you say that I am? And, and the disciples kind of begin to talk and they say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, you got it. A couple of days later, this happens. In verse one of chapter 17, it says this. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, right? They must have been his favorite, you think? Jesus actually had favorites, even though us dads don't. Who's your favorite child? You know you have one. Bennett, you are mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Annalie, because I know you're watching. Um, you're my favorite. Um, Peter, James, and John. So he t- takes these three disciples. He leads them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He was transformed before them. The word that's used there for transfigured is the word metamorphosis. So Jesus is changed in front of them. It says his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. So they begin to see the glory of Jesus. They begin to see what's going to happen when he comes back again, right? This is a manifestation of the coming king that we worship. It says, his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So you have this, this episode, this scene that Peter is referencing here when he's referencing the, the majesty of Jesus. Let me just give you a little bit of the symbolism that's happening. First, obviously, we just see this manifestation of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. The second thing is we see two people in this story. We see two other people that are important. Moses shows up, okay, and Elijah shows up. Now, now here's why this is important. It's really important when it comes to our understanding of God's word. Moses in this story represents what's called the law. The first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So right here, what we have is that Moses and the law is giving way to Jesus. Then you have Elijah. Don't miss this. You have Elijah. Elijah is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. If there were a Mount Rushmore of people in the Old Testament and God wasn't on it, Moses and Elijah would be on Mount Rushmore. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. So in this story, Elijah is representing what the prophets wrote in the Old Testament. There are 17 different books sections that we talked about that represent the prophets in the Old Testament. So you have Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and they're all giving way to Jesus. And we just see that even in this moment when he is manifesting himself, this transfiguration, he is pointing to the words of God. Like this is what we see is a manifestation of the coming kingdom is a promise of the future. Now, the reason and it's the reason why we have a hope to live for. Right. Eyewitness testimony reported supernatural events and fulfilled specific prophecies. This is where it gets even better. Right. Verse 19. It says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed 
meaning Jesus had been prophesied. They saw it as eyewitnesses. So the prophetic word is now more fully confirmed because there were eyewitnesses to which you will do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So he says, we have this prophetic word. And what he's talking about is, is the word of Jesus coming, right? Jesus is coming back. We experienced it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is stunning because in this moment, what he's saying is everything in the Bible, everything in life gives way to Jesus, right? Everything that we see written, Jesus is found everywhere you go in the Bible. We have the written word that points to what we call the living word. His name is Jesus. Listen, we can never forget that. Listen, we can never forget that. I'm going to say that again, and we're going to get an amen. Listen, everything, the written word points to the living word, and his name is Jesus. Like, this is why we live. So for people who stand up and say, the Bible says, and you're less than, and you're getting it wrong, they are wrong right? They are wrong. And I'm going to explain a little bit more of that in just a second. I just got a little ahead of myself. I was so excited. So man, the written word points to the living word. Jesus said this in John chapter five. In John chapter five, he goes, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And Jesus says this, he says, you look through the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but they bear witness of me. Everything in the Bible is pointing to who Jesus is. How do we know? Because it's written down for us. It's written down for us. Now, now, here's what's pretty amazing. There are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, 300, that Jesus fulfilled. So think about this for a second, 300. Now, now the probability of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled is 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Like, that's the probability. Like, you're not even buying a $2 mega millions ticket with those, with those odds, right? If you do win, by the way, let's talk. But you, that, that's incredible. So what I want to do is walk through the 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. You didn't laugh. You should have. How about four? How about four? So one of the prophecies that we have is that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. This small city in the outskirts of the Roman Empire that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you remember the Christmas story, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. How did he get to Bethlehem? The head of the Roman Empire issued a decree that a census would be taken. Jesus' mom, Mary, and stepdad, Joseph, are living in Nazareth, about a week's journey away. And so when the decree comes out for the census, they have to travel to Bethlehem because that was their hometown. So God orchestrates heaven and earth and an empire to get his son born in the right place. Listen, this is one of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Another one is the fact that he would be born to a virgin. Do I have to talk about how hard that one is? Okay, I'll move on. Another one is that he would go to Egypt after he was born. Here's why this happened. A prophecy that happened hundreds of years before Jesus was born says that he would come out of Egypt. After Jesus is born, the governor of the region, a guy named Herod, Herod the Great, he understood that the king of the Jews was born. And so he couldn't find him. So he just killed all the children in his region, age two and under. Now, God had already sent Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Egypt. Right Again, God orchestrating history, orchestrating time, orchestrating governments to make happen what he wants to make happen. And then we see the crucifixion. Like the crucifixion 
We know, we know how Jesus died. We've got some very brutal detail on exactly how that went down, um, how he was nailed to a cross, how he drowned in his own blood, um, and, and uh, it's pretty gruesome. Now, just for, for the record, there's a psalm in Psalm 22 that Jesus quotes from the cross. He quotes the first verse, and it says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Now, now this psalm was written 700 years before the crucifixion. Okay, 700 years before the crucifixion. Listen to this part of the psalm. It says this, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. So in that culture, they would have called Gentiles, non-Jews, dogs. A company of evildoers encircles me. You may remember that there were people around the foot of Jesus who gambled for his clothes. Evildoers. Then it says this, they have pierced my hands and feet. Okay, that is clearly crucifixion. This was written 700 years before crucifixion was even a method of execution in history, right? Prophecy that was fulfilled, that was written. We have over 300 of those, and we worry about how God's going to take care of us tomorrow. Man, God's got you. Like specific prophecies. He says this, he says, like a lamp shining in a dark place. Man, this is what the Bible is for us. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. You know, Psalm 119 says, your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We live in some dark times. And many of you have gone through some darkness. And you could be going through some darkness right now. You may be going through some kind of health crisis. It could be a financial downturn. Man, man, it could just be some questioning about your purpose and why you're around. Listen, you could be a dad here and you feel like you completely blew it. So Father's Day is nothing for you but a great reminder of all your regrets. But it says that the Bible, God's words, lamps shining in the darkness. Then we can't see anything and we just see that little dot. If we will just make a way towards it. It says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. That today God's word is just out there asking you, begging you, man, just to walk towards it to follow it, to read it, to absorb it into your life. And then he uses this word for morning star. Um, and, and this is pretty interesting to me. It's where we get our word phosphorus from. And so if you know anything about, um, about lighting a match, a match is made out of red phosphorus and white phosphorus. And when you strike it, what happens? It hits oxygen, and then you light your cigar after you had a hole in one, right? That's what happens. And we just have this light in God's word. Man, but we take it for granted, don't we? Do I live like, where, where do I need light in my life? Like, where do you need some light in your life? What area of your life? Is it purpose? Is it your, is it your dating? Is it your marriage? Like, where, where do you need some light in your life? You will find it in God's words that have been written down for us. Then he uses this word, then, then he talks about the morning star and really pointing to this idea until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, it's just really talking about Jesus' second coming. Listen, if there's no second coming, godly living is optional, isn't it? And we don't have to worry about it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Do you, do you live like this life is all there is to your life? Like when you get to the end of the day, have you just spent all your time and money and energy and focus and attention and affection on things that only last this long? 
Like how is it affecting your relationships? How is it affecting your generosity? How does it affecting your schedule? How is it affecting the jobs you take, the house you buy, the vacation you go on, the way you raise your children? Or do we live like this life is all there is? Now, and then Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. He says this, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we believe that this book is divine in origin. It's divinely. We call this, we call this inspired. And, and, and the way God went about it is he used people's experiences because he's in charge of those. Their personalities, their education, man, their, their life, the place they were born, all that. God has orchestrated. And then he breathes the words, literal words through them onto the pages of the Bible. Like this is what it means. In 2 Timothy, it says that, that, that all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. That's the same image we have when he breathed life into Adam at the beginning of creation. That's why you'll hear us say this quite a bit. When, when we open our Bible, God opens his mouth because God speaks to us. So many people say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. 90% of it is right here. Right, because God breathes life into us, off the pages of Scripture, into our souls. This is what we have. And, and what's wild about this is that is while we read the Bible, you know the Bible actually reads us, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the, that the Word of God is living and active. Man, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing into our hearts very deeply. And that when you read the Bible, it begins to reveal some things in your life. It, can re- it begins to reveal a judgmental heart, doesn't it? It begins to reveal some unbelief. Maybe you gossip too much. Maybe you're stingy, stingy and selfish. You know, maybe you have value and you just forget about it. Maybe God's picked you. Like one of my favorite scriptures is in the book of Isaiah chapter 43. It says, we are precious in the sight of our Lord. And we forget these things. As we begin to read the Bible, it begins to pierce our souls with the truth of its words. And it is divine in origin. And because of this, it becomes, it becomes, our, becomes our authority in life. You know, we all have some authority that we turn to in life. What we look at, things that we count on, that we make decisions towards. And the Bible, for people who follow Jesus, the Bible, it's our authority. It's how we make decisions. It's how we live. It's how we know what's right. It's how we know when to stand up and when to sit down. It's how we know how to love people. It's how we know who we are and how valued we are. Man, we have the authority of the Bible. What authority do you live by? Right? What authority do you live by? Now, one of the reasons I'm extremely passionate about the Bible is just because of how it changed my life. Let me just give you briefly, in the few minutes we have left, a little bit about that. So I was a young 20-something, kind of had grown up going to church and gotten away from it. Debbie and I started going to church because we needed some friends. was kind of the thing that you did, right? And so there was a pastor in this church. His name was Phil Walker. And he had challenged me just to begin to read my Bible, right? And so I just began to read it, not really understanding sometimes what, what I needed to be reading, my plan, my program, all that, but I just began to read God's word. 
And it just began to give me life and began to overflow my heart. And I'll never forget one morning. It's just me. I'm reading my Bible. I'm all by myself. And there's this story over in the, towards the end of Matthew's version of Jesus' life. And, and Jesus is giving this account of what the end time looks like. And he says, we're going to separate people, the sheep on my right, the goats on my left. And the sheep, they're going to, they're going to come in. Come on, let's go. The, the goats, hey, you guys are going where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal separation for God. Sorry if you're on this side today. Um, and so I just began just kind of questioning that scene in my, in my heart. And I'm like, Lord, like, where would I be? We sighed. And it was just really clear to me. I was on that side. And right there, just me, my Bible, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, right there, I just gave my life to Christ. And the rest, as they say, is history. And so today, here I am 30 years later, standing on a stage teaching the Bible. And God has done so much through this church. It's been so great for my family. Why? Because God rescued me through his word in the lonely closet in Madison, Mississippi. You can't underestimate the power of the Bible. Listen, this is why every, day, every, every Sunday we say this, we are people of a book. Our understanding of God is not based on experience or tradition or popular opinion or what we're comfortable with. Our understanding of God is based on the written word of God. Don't miss this. That points to the living word of God. Hey, hey Christian. If you go to someone and you say, hey, the Bible says so, you should stop that. The Bible says so, you should believe it. You're not making any sense. You should tell them, how, tell them about Jesus first, right? Tell them about Jesus first. Don't miss this. We don't hold this up because we're better than people. That's why we have a screen for this. If we could put that up, please. That, that's why we say this. We say God's words aren't a weapon to hurt people, but a lifeline to save them. If there's one thing that I want our church to be known for, man, it's saving people. And that we don't use it as a, you can leave that up on the screen, please. That we don't use it as a weapon. Man, we don't use it to beat people down. We use it to lift them up. There's enough people out there beating other people down and beating people up. Come on. Right? It doesn't need to happen in here. And this is why we have God's words. What a treasure it is. Is why? So it's a lifeline to save people. This is our first source. It's our final authority. It's the greatest love story ever written. And let's do this. The best part of all, it's true. So here's what I hope. I hope you'll remember that it's true. We have the greatest gift that God could give us. We don't go by something that someone else told us or something that we just hope is true. We don't live our own truth because that is dangerous and destructive and dumb right? We have the lifeline that comes from a God, a gift that's been passed down through centuries, something that's historically verifiable, written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of eyewitnesses that claims supernatural events that actually happen and is divine in origin. Why did God go to all that trouble over 1,500 years in three different continents and three different languages and 40 different authors? Why? Because of his great love for us. And he wants to point us and help us to remember, this is free, help us to remember the future that's coming for us. Oh my goodness, over in Revelation chapter 21, and then we're gonna pray. Revelation chapter 21 says this, when he points to the future that we have, we can never forget this. This is where we're going. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will what? Wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning. No more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus himself, said, behold, I am making all things new. Hey, this is our destiny. This is where your hope is. This is why we can have a resilient faith because God went to the trouble of giving us his word and fulfilling it at every single turn where all the promises of yes are what? In Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. You can clap too if you want to. I feel like you wanted to right there. So I'm going to invite the band out and we're going to have our prayer team come up front for just a few moments. And um, man, I think that it's a great day for you, for you to be prayed for as we just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed in these moments um, as we kind of get ready for this next moment. Um, I, I think that, man, there's some dads here. You just need to be blessed today. And you just need someone to say a prayer of blessing over you today. You got a hard job. You got a hard job. And this is a tough culture. You got lots of competing emotions. You got lots of competing voices. You just need, man, just someone to bless you today. Just to say a prayer of blessing and a help over you today, just as a dad. Maybe you want to come down here um, with your wife. Uh, maybe you, you just want to come down and just have, have someone pray over you. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on down now if they would. And you can, even as I'm talking and praying, you can come on down. You know, it could be that you're a dad today and you just... You've, you've struggled. Man, you just got a lot of regrets. And God doesn't want you to live in those. Man, God says what? He's making all things new, even the relationship with your children. And so I would just invite you down to come and to pray over. You know, there could be something that happened to, that I didn't even bring up today, but it's just heavy on your heart. Man, we'd love to pray for you today. And then we're going to sing this last song. And I'll be honest, I don't make many requests, but I requested this one because I love this song. As we just look forward to the homecoming. 